welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review the Katie Helper Show on iTunes. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you help make the show possible. And when you join at $5 a month, you get extra interviews and extended interviews and bonus episodes and behind the scenes moments and outtakes. Today, we bring you a compound episode of sorts. First, I play part of an interview I did with the great Richard Wolf. You can hear the full interview with Richard on Patreon. And then I bring you an interview that I did with Matt Brunig. It's from a couple of weeks ago, but the great thing about it is that basically nothing has changed. Joe Manchin is still terrible. The Biden administration is still way behind on its COVID response. So it's just as relevant as ever, and it's very useful. So without any further ado, Richard Wolf. So excited about today's episode. We are bringing on a guest who I've been wanting to have on for such a long time. And I know people are really excited about having him on for good reason. He's an excellent speaker, excellent thinker, and he's the host of Economic Update. He's the professor, he's professor of economics emeritus at UMass Amherst. He's a visiting professor at the New School. He's the founder of Democracy at Work and the author of several books, including Democracy at Work, Understanding Marxism and Capitalism Hits the Fan, The Global Economic Meltdown, and What to Do About It. He's been called America's most prominent Marxist economist by the New York Times. So without any further ado, bringing on to the stage, the virtual stage, Professor Richard Wolf. Hello. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. Welcome to the show. You are so busy, so we really especially appreciate your stopping by. To start off, I want to ask you about something that we hear about a lot, which is inflation. It's in the media a lot. It's presented often by the media as a reason for why we can't have nice things, basically. So there's so much inflation, which is why we can't provide relief. There's so much inflation. That's why Build Back Better can't happen. Can you tell us about what inflation means and what the media is missing about inflation and what the politicians are missing when they talk about inflation? I can try, uh, and I'm glad you asked the question. Um, It's embarrassing, being an economics professor all my life, that the understanding of what is so basic, like an inflation, is as underdeveloped, I'm being as polite as I know how, as underdeveloped in our media, among our politicians, and therefore not surprisingly among the the general public. So that you can get away with saying some of the rankest nonsense imaginable because it is one of those areas wrapped in some sort of mystery tape uh, that no one seems able to unravel. So bear with me for a couple of minutes If I just try to basically explain what it is and where it comes from and the damage that it does. Okay, so inflation simply means a general increase in the prices of goods and services. That's all it means. The prices can be going up in some cases and being flat or even going down in others. It's just a question of whether, in general, most items are becoming a bit more expensive or a lot more expensive than they used to be. So don't forget that because that's the basic story of what an inflation is. But now we get to the mystery part. Who decides to raise prices? Because obviously, if an inflation is rising prices, a reasonable next question is, 
Well, who made the decision that the quart of milk is going to cost $3.20 instead of $3 or whatever it is we're talking about? And here comes right away an answer that creates tension in our culture. It's the employers who make that decision. If you've been an employee anywhere, you may well have noticed that among your duties is never the setting of prices. Employers don't let you do that. They hold that responsibility, that privilege, that power for themselves. Okay, so how many employers are there as a percentage of the population? Maybe 1%, certainly not more. It's a tiny minority. So the first thing to understand about an inflation, it is something done by a tiny minority that the majority is stuck with. If you were a believer in democracy, you would already be having trouble at this point. How do we allow all of us to be impacted by something we have no direct control? Because the employer doesn't have to answer to anyone. The employer, by the way, if you go to business school and you get an MBA at some reputable or not a business school, uh, you will be taught that the price is determined by what the employer thinks the market will bear. In, you know, in general terms, you rate the price as high as you think you can get away with. Will people still buy whatever I make as a business if I have the price at X? If not, then I'll bring it down to Y. And, and there's a bit of trial and error that's often involved. So the second thing about it, inflation is that it's something employers do. Now the third question, very logical. Why do employers do it? All right. We know what it is. We know who's doing it. Next question. Why are they doing it? And here we get wonderful mystery, which I can help you unravel. The mystery which is no mystery at all, is that employers set prices for the exact same reason they do everything else. They're in business to make money. That's what they'll tell you. Profit is our bottom line. Making more money is why I'm in this business. So when they set prices, that's what they're doing. That is one of the important decisions that will shape how profitable your business is. So the answer to why we have an inflation, the honest answer, is because employers seek to profit from doing that. And that's why they do it. But the problem in America is because we give lip service to democracy, if people understood what I just said, they would rebel. They would be angry that a tiny minority for its profit is telling all of us that we'll get fewer loaves of bread or fewer uh, days of the month rent uh, because they're raising the price. So they need to tell a story. And the story is simply blame somebody else. Blame anybody else. So here are some of the favorite candidates. Here we go. Number one, big one in America. It's the Federal Reserve System. They've been pumping money into the economy, which is true, for the last 20 years. That's true. And all this extra money is sort of driving up the prices. This lovely story allows you to get the employer right out of the story, right out of the picture. He's gone. 
you've you've blamed somebody else. The only problem with this story is it's patent nonsense. The Federal Reserve has been increasing the money supply literally every year for the last 20 years, and we haven't had any inflation for 19 of those 20 years. So whatever made the inflation start now, it can't possibly have to do with blaming the Fed because that just doesn't compute, even if you know the, the least bit about American uh, economic history. Here's another one. The Chinese, you know, that's a favorite whipping boy these days. So why not? You throw everything else at them. Let's blame them, you know, not just for COVID and all the rest, but let's blame them for the inflation. What's the idea here? Well, all these goods are coming in from China. And if they raise the price, well, then everybody else is going to do it. It's a kind of we're being infected by the in inflation the way we were infected by COVID in the first, some some kind of nonsense like that. I this think you're the economist, but is the technical term Michigas? Is that what the- Yes, uh, that, 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 would be, that would be very accurate. Uh, econ economics is a very limited profession. I'm a little embarrassed, very limited vocabulary. Uh, it desperately needs good words from elsewhere, but it is unable usually to access them. Uh, it's a sad story, it's yeah. a sad story. Anyway, blaming the Chinese doesn't work because what the Chinese have always done is bring prices down. That's why we all buy things from China. That's why if you look at the label of your blouse or of your tea kettle or of you name it, it says made in China. That's because they are experts, not at raising the price because then we wouldn't have bought it, but at bringing the price down, which is why we buy uh, from them. And by the way, they do that in good part because in their society, their wage levels are low. They are a, a relatively poor country. Even though they're contesting with the United States, you have to always remember they have four times the population. So when you adjust their booming economy for their people, they still have a ways to go to catch up uh, to the United States. But American companies have been going over there and by the way, this is a wonderful side dimension of the inflation story. American companies have gone to China in huge uh, outflows of jobs that Americans are very upset about. And, and they're right about that. They have a right to be upset, lost good jobs of all kinds. American companies did that. Nobody held a gun to their heads. They went to China for the same reason that they raised prices because it was profitable to pay lower wages, and because for most of the last 20 years, the Chinese economy has been growing much, much faster than the American economy. And as every business school graduate will tell you, if you want to do well in your business, you work for the market that's growing, not for the market that isn't. And so our businesses went over there, and they were supposed to bring back the goods that could be produced more cheaply over there. But what they did is produce them more cheaply, but not lower the price here. Because of course that made their profits go crazy. And that's what's been fueling the stock market in our country for the last 25 years. The sad, the sad punchline to this story, if that's the way to put it, is that the inflation is a terrible burden on the American people. We've just been a society that has gone through 
one of the worst public health disasters in the history of this country, the second or third worst economic collapse wrapped up with that. We've had collapses of the economy before. We've had public health disasters before. But I believe my American history is correct. We've never had these two things happen at the same time, which means the last two years are what they feel like an especially horrible trauma. And for a society to go through this for two years, which we've done, only to come out of it and to be hit in the face like that proverbial pie thrower with an inflation, it really is too much. It, it's taking people over the edge, as we can see, in large numbers. But that's not because there's something wrong with our people. It's because we have an economic system that is doing things to us that we should long ago have recognized as the signs of an economic system in very deep trouble. Can you talk about the the what people are constantly talk about with the ships, how we can't get goods? Um, right. That's another part of, of the uh, supply side, supply chain. Uh, can you talk about those elements, which also get thrown sure. around? Yeah, and they're, they're right in the middle of all of this, so they belong, uh, they belong here. Okay, um, let's go back to the last two years of economic downturn and the, and the pandemic. As I'm sure you've learned, because everybody kind of knows this, that other countries have handled the COVID quite differently from the way it's been handled here, if I can even use a phrase like handled. I mean, the whole world is aware of a basic statistic, which I don't think most Americans have yet got their heads around. We are four and a half percent of the world's people, we Americans, and we account for 16 or 17 percent of the world's deaths from COVID. We are one of the richest countries in the world. We have a highly developed medical system. And this is a colossal failure. Historians for decades will be looking back and shaking their heads in disbelief that a rich country would have such a horrific record. All right, what did the other countries do that was different? And I'm going to use China not to be provocative, but because it, it tells us the story we need to face. As I mentioned before, China has at least four times the population of the United States. We have roughly 330 million. They have, depending on who you listen to, between 1.3 and 1.4 billion people in their country. Okay, we are now at about 830, last time I looked, 830,000 deaths from COVID. China, China, with a population four times larger than us, has 7,000. I mean, it's beyond words. We have 100 times the deaths from COVID that China has. And one of the reasons China has these numbers, which, by the way, the whole world looks at, studies, comments about literally every day. One of the things the Chinese did is use what is called locking down. 
if there's an outbreak of, of COVID, which they've had in various places, they come in and they mobilize public resources, private resources, everything. They come into the city. They test everyone. They trace who, who everybody saw or, or, or talked to or had a, a meal with. They uh, vaccinate everybody. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what they do. But part of that is shutting down a city or a province or a port. Now, why is that important? Here we go. It's important because seven of the 10 biggest shipping ports in the world now are Chinese. Why? Because all those American and British and French and German and Italian and Japanese companies have been going to China for the last 35 years, setting up production and then bringing that stuff all the way back to Europe, to North America and so on, necessitating an explosion of ocean shipping and of ports. But if you shut down a port city, one of those seven that are the biggest seven in the world in China, you're going to interrupt the inflow and outflow of goods and services. And that's what happened. The Chinese locked down that they will not come converse about that. They say that saving lives is number one, and they're going to shut it down because they believe, I know this is going to come as a shock, uh, in the sanctity of human life, which we used to claim they kind of didn't, and right. we did. Well, the COVID statistics really do suggest it's the other way around, but I won't go there. That's painful. We'll leave it for another conversation. But the ports shut down, and now the goods don't come. And if the good is, for example, computer chips of a certain kind that are inserted into every modern automobile made, well, then GM, Ford, and all the others can't make cars. They can't service, uh, the, for example, the rental car business, which sold off its cars, needs to buy new ones, can't get them, has a shortage, and guess what? jacks up the price of renting a car to compensate them for the fewer cars that they have. So now you can begin to see the connection between COVID, locking down in China, and why the price of your rental car has gone doubled or tripled from what it was a year or so ago. I rent cars, I mean, I, I am aware through personal uh, experience. But here's another dimension you might not have thought of. We have lockdowns in the United States, too. We say we don't. It's not accurate. What is true is we don't have the government come in and do what the Chinese do. That's true. We don't do that. But we still lock down, except our locking down isn't run by the government, doesn't coordinate public and private resources, doesn't work in a rational way, because with our fetishism of private decision-making, Every business decides if and when and how and where it's going to lock down. So over here, you have a company that locks down, but it produces inputs for this other company that doesn't want to lock down, but can't function because another company, this is chaotic. And as most Americans already understand, our reaction to COVID is chaotic. 
is not working, is all over the place. But the statement the Chinese do lockdowns, we don't do it, that's not correct. We do private, ad hoc, chaotic, disorganized lockdowns. But by the way, they have the same effect. It means, for example, here in New York City, uh, where I live, suddenly the store I go to had no cream cheese. Well, this is a very important part of my diet, cream cheese. And I was very distressed. So it's I asked. It's a hate crime. It's a hate crime. Yeah, I, <laughs> I asked, where's the cream cheese? And the very nice people working there explained to me that the truck that normally brings the cream cheese twice a week is unable to do it because... And then I heard the story. They can't get the truck or they can't get a driver to drive the truck or the weather is no good. Yeah. Look, I'm an economist. That's what I study. When you begin to be told that they can't get the green cheese, you're near the end. You're not at the beginning of the breakdown. It's at the end. Those things are the last, you know, milk and eggs and bread and butter. Those are the last thing when they are not showing up. It means all of the other infrastructure that keeps our economy going is under stresses and strains. There's nobody in charge. The, the fetishization of private enterprise has left us without the framework to deal with these problems. And therefore, we have the breakdown of supply. We have the incentive. Look, when a, when a businessman or woman can't produce what they normally do. So they have fewer items to sell, fewer cream cheeses, fewer blouses, fewer you name it. One of the first things they think of is to jack up the price because they're going to sell fewer anyway. They might as well get their customers to bid against one another for the restricted supply. So you feed the inflation when? At just the time when it's the last thing on earth you want to do. The Democratic Party, which is the party in power as this chaos unfolds, they are not the cause of it, but they are going to be blamed for it because it's kind of happening under their watch. Obama helped build this. Trump certainly helped build this. Nobody has stopped in to deal with it. We can barely question it as a society, but it is now going to wreak, it is already wreaking havoc on our physical lives, on our social arrangements, our political, it's all being blown away by a refusal. Maybe this is the biggest point I would, I would plead with people listening or watching. We are confronting a basic crisis of our system and the response of our leaders is what psychologists call denial. And that's no solution. And to hear the rest of that really amazing interview with Richard Wolf, which you will not want to miss, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. But don't go anywhere. Matt Bruni coming up right now. Matt Brunig, who is an economist, the founder and editor of the People's Policy Project, and great wonk. You're the second wonk we've had on this week. We had David Dayan, now we're it's having you week. on. It's wonk week at the Katie Helper Show. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, welcome, Matt. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've been busy writing up a storm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the last few months, for sure. And I guess in the last few days, 
maybe less so because it's all about it falling apart and no more room for me to explain the details and what we need to do better. But, you know. Well, there is a lot. Luckily, at least to me, there's still there's always more that you can explain when it comes to this stuff. And I thought we could start off by watching a video, though, that, you know, Biden gave a speech today. He made some interesting announcements today about testing. And this is an interesting pivot away from his press secretary, Jen Psaki. What we've done over the course of time, we've quadrupled the size of our testing plan. We've cut the cost significantly over the past few months. And this effort to uh, uh, to push uh, to ensure insurers are you're able to get your your tests uh, refunded means 150 million Americans will be able to get free tests. Why not just make them free and give them out and have them available everywhere? Should we just send one to every American? Maybe. Okay. Just quickly. I like that she thinks that's some kind of zing. Right. Like yeah, this is something that they're doing in in the UK, isn't isn't that yeah. right? That anyone can just go to some website.co.uk uh, and order one to their house. Well, as that's what she goes on. That's what the yeah. questioner then, actually then goes ha- on to then say. Then what oh, happens sure. if you if every American has one test? How much does that cost? And then what happens after that? You know, all I know is that other countries seem to be making them available for in greater quantities for less money. Well, I think we share the same objective, which is to make them less expensive and more accessible, right? Uh, every country is going to do that differently. And I was just noting that, again, our tests go through the FDA approval process. That's not the same. So, okay, that, that's an interesting moment. And then let's compare that to this moment from today. We also need to do better with at-home testing. So I'm announcing today that federal government will purchase one half billion, that's not million, billion with a B, additional at-home well, rapid half a million tests would have been <laughs> starting in January. We'll be getting these tests to Americans for free. And we'll have websites where you can get them delivered to your home. Wow. We've arranged for it to be easier for you to find a free COVID testing site near you on Google. Just enter. Okay, COVID sure. test so. near me. <laughs> Google search bar, and you can find a number of different locations nearby. Google's famous search bar. We're going to continue to use this fast production on feeling lucky. as we did earlier <laughs> this month to make sure we're producing as many tests and as quickly as possible. The bottom line is it's a lot better than it was, but we're Couple taking days more ago. steps to make it easier to get tested and get tested for free. It's a lot better than it was when my press secretary mocked the idea of giving people tests for free. Well, you know, you can't, you can, you know, at least he, you know, brought it, took up the idea and brought it up with the president, you know, after it was brought up in the briefing. So, you know, we should all thank our lucky stars. That's true. We should be happy. Yeah. I guess that it could have been worse. He could have doubled down, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we can, and none of us would be getting tests in that case. Well, what are your thoughts on the response to Omicron, the response to Build Back Better? Brunig, lay it on us. Hot tape. Uh, well, you know, I don't have too much thought on the on the COVID situation. I know in my own personal life, I've had a, uh, it took me a very long time to find a booster. Uh, that, that It was a lot easier to get the first two shots and I tried to get a booster and it was, it was quite difficult. So something has degraded in the meantime in terms of the ability to roll that out, at least where I'm at. Um, and I know tests. I actually got a, I went to the, the store the other day, not to get a test, but they had a sign on the store that was like, we're all out of COVID tests. I was like, oh, that's great. I took a little picture of it. I'm like, this is wonderful. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, you know, that that's about all I know on that. I mean, on on Build Back Better, it seems like, I mean, from the reporting, it's a little bit it's a little bit hard to understand. Did Joe Manchin ever want a, a deal or not? Is he is he throwing this all away because his feelings were hurt because of a <laughs> press release they put out that mentioned him by name? The press release that they put out actually seemed to kind of be positive. The one that mentioned him by name, so that's a little bit strange. Um, I don't know. The way he's behaving is just really odd. And it would be nice to be clear on what the issue was. Was it substantive? Was it, is it too much money? Is you, are you worried about inflation? Are you worried about, or, or, or was it a breach in? Uh, oh, that he was about to say it. He was about to I think he was about to get to the, to the truth. Oh my God. See, this always and the happens powers to that be, We're like, not, we can't let Matt Brunick really, speak it. It's, it couldn't be that it takes a lot of bandwidth uh, to stream video. It, no. it, it is probably that, yeah, the, the, the NSA and the CIA. NSA, the CIA, and also Joe into, Manchin. Yeah, and Joe Manchin and himself. his daughter, I mean, that, his evil daughter. You know, that's really what what's happened here is the Democrats took you down because they don't want anyone mentioning Joe Manchin by name. You know, yeah. it could cause another uh, uh, rift in... Uh, uh, in the negotiations. I mean, uh, you know, as far as I look at it, I'm like, I've been thinking a lot lately, Katie, about remember when Joe Biden won and everybody like had impromptu parades in the street and everybody went out and got drunk. Yeah. I've been thinking about that day a lot lately. And I'm like, so that was all in celebration of like a highway bill. Like of like mostly existing spending, like everyone was out there like popping champagne, like Chrissy Teigen came out in her car and like waved from the window, be uh, all in celebration of like five of half of, you know, 500 billion in new spending, mostly to like corporations. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at the last couple weeks of the Biden administration and I'm like, well, that's like about the end of that. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, Matt was talking about what did Joe Manchin want and I think from the beginning that this has like been a scam. I think when the when the uh when the CPC finally voted for the infrastructure, they were getting scammed and now the scam, you know, has been revealed. Yeah. So, what do you think, Matt? Possibly. You know, I mean, definitely you know, what happened when it, you know, at first, of course, maybe you just talked about this, they were going to hold up the infrastructure bill in order to right. do the BBB, and they end up uh, falling on that. And, you know, what happened there, from what I could tell, is the uh, the House, except for the squad who, who did hold on there, everyone else in the Progressive Caucus or everyone else in the House who were kind of playing that game, they only seemed willing to do that for as long as Biden was telling them to. Right. Because he was, he was for that for a while. And so they were willing to be kind of like soldiers for the president. And as soon as the president was like, no, I'm not doing that anymore, it all collapsed. And so, you know, I don't know. It was a game of Biden versus Manchin, and Biden, Biden gave up at that point. And I, I, even at the time, the sort of assurances, oh, we've got assurances, we've got assurances, that all seemed bullshit to me. Like, m maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But the idea that, the idea that they they stopped their leverage play because they were confident that, you know, Manchin was going to, that seemed false. That was a way of covering for the fact that Biden really wanted this bipartisan thing done. He thought it would help them and they're not willing to cross the president for the most part. So. Yeah. And then we have this, which we can watch. We got a statement from, this is Biden from today being asked about Manchin. 
Mr. President, did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you? When you announced the framework, the White House says that all 50 senators were believed to get behind it, all 50 Democratic senators. So did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you? Senator Manchin and I are going to get something done. Thank you. That's an interesting response. So I don't know if that's a threat, if that's a date. Unclear. There's no threat, you know. There's there's nothing yeah. they can do to him. Um, you know, he 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 calls his own shots, so uh, you know, insulin shots. Yeah, and you know, it's weird. It's weird because the White House says that he had he offered a 1.8 trillion dollar thing the day before, and then they decided not to go with it, and he was upset about uh, the Biden was insisting on the child tax credit, and uh, but then all of a sudden he's like, I'm, I'm for nothing at all, you know, it. The information that is leaking out and being reported doesn't really tell a coherent story of what anyone's interests are uh, or how this was meant to play out. Um, I think by I think Manchin, he's just kind of a high drama, kind of erratic dude, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not here to make friends. You know, he's the he's that reality show character. <laughs> yeah, on the real world, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have a piece at uh, the People's Policy Project, What to Do About Very Bad Parents. I like this because it makes it look like you're talking about... Joe himself. Yeah, Joe Manchin. And I'm sure he is a bad parent because he's just a bad (laughs) human being. I can't imagine he'd be very good at it. And he raised a child who's like a sociopathic insulin price Mm. gouger. You write, according to Tara Golshin and Arthur Delaney, one of Joe Manchin's objections to providing cash benefits to the children of low earnings parents is that those parents would waste the money on vices. Publicly, his biggest gripes are about the cost of the bill, but privately Manchin has told his colleagues that he essentially doesn't trust low-income people to spend government money wisely. In recent months, Manchin has told several of his fellow Democrats that he thought parents would waste monthly child tax credit payments on drugs instead of providing for their children, according to two sources familiar with their senator's comment. So can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, it is interesting. If you talk to normal people, this actually comes up a lot, at least, I, you know, back in Texas. You know, if you talk to people, they're always worried about, you know, poor people that are spending their checks on drugs and stuff like that. But you, nobody really talks about that in the public discourse all that much. It's a lot of, it's like the same thing with minimum wage and stuff like that. You get these arguments that, that, that don't really track what, what regular reactionaries are mad about. You know, it's like, oh, well, what about incentives to work? Or what about marriage incentives? And what about this and that? And like, you actually talk to real reactionaries and they're like, fuck these people, <laughs> these drug addicts and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, let's just write a piece that I could, it just kind of just takes that as a real point. Maybe someone really is concerned about it. Let's try to address it. And I, I cited to the study from Canada where they they have a child benefit in Canada, um, like our child tax credit. Um, and they were able to exploit differences in um, the level of benefit across the provinces in Canada and kind of figure out sort of causatively, like what happens when you get these child benefits? What do people do? How does their spending change? And they found that actually spending on alcohol and tobacco, which were the only you know vices that were present in the consumption survey they used, spending on those things actually declined. Um, and you know, that's consistent with another 
another theory of uh, vice use, which is that for a lot of people, it's a way of, of coping with uh, issues and problems they have. Obviously, that's not true of everyone, but for, sure. for a significant number of people, it is. And if you improve their plight, you know, maybe they have less need uh, for these kinds of coping uh, mechanisms. So... Um, so that, you know, it's, it's just not true there. And then also fundamentally, what I've always found really weird about these arguments is, okay, so you're worried about, you've got these parents, because there are for sure, there are parents out there who are like really bad and like really addicted. There, there are some, not a lot, but some. And what I've always thought weird about this argument is to say, okay, so what exactly are you going to do to fix that problem? Right? <laughs> you got these parents, you got these kids. And it's like, well, what I'm going to do, I'm like, are you going to help the parent get better? No. Are you going to separate the kid? Maybe it's that bad that the kid needs to be separated. No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make them poorer. I'm going to keep everything like it is, the custodial situation, the drug problem, whatever it is, and we're just going to make them poorer. Yeah. And then we're good to go. Then, we're, then we've solved the problem. There's, it's a, it's a, there's a punitiveness yeah. in, in so yeah, much what uh, it is. policy. Yeah. It's just like, it's a way of, of indicating disapproval of the activity, not to solve the issue of whether it's drug addiction or a kid who's being neglected or abused and trying to help them. It's, it's just, I don't like this situation, so starve it, starve it, starve it. You know, everyone here needs to feel some pain for what they're doing. Including the kids. Yeah. Yeah, the kids. That's what's so weird about this in particular, at least if it's a, sometimes a able-bodied adult without dependents. That's a group of people that they always like to pick on whenever the Republicans are in power. They'll cut their food stamps and Medicaid and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, I see. Because those people, they don't seem sympathetic to you. They're not disabled. They're not kids. They're not whatever. But here we're talking about a benefit only for, for kids, for families with kids. So you, that cannot be separated out. And you know, they're going to pay the price, um, even in those families. Right. So. Not that any of us here are pro making people suffer, even when they don't have kids, but it's just the no. optics of it are just so, yeah. I mean, the, like right. what, what is the game plan? What's the end game? The end game is literally making the children who you per, claim to be protecting, wanting to protect, suffer. And it, suffer it is interesting. Yeah, suffer more. Right. Suffer more. And it is interesting that, you know, not that I'm for child parent separation, obviously, but it's interesting that that's not even part of if, if they propose that there would be a kind of moral coherence. Like I would disagree with that position, but there would be some kind of consistency like yeah. this is just well, doesn't even begin to address anything. Right. Well, and like I say in the, the piece, you know, people who have these problems, they could squander money wherever they get it. It doesn't really matter. Right. So people can blow their paycheck on gambling or mm -hmm. drugs or whatever, right. just as much as they can blow a benefit check on it. And, and many do. And, you know, I mean, the point I make in the piece is not, hey, we need to go out and start you know, cracking the whip on separation. But no, not at all. if that's what you're concerned about. That is kind of the only mechanism. Now, you need to decide how far you want to go with it. You know, how neglectful does it need to be? There probably is a line where everyone says, yeah, if this kid is just starving or you're beating him really bad, like maybe we need to step in. Right. But that's, that's the only way you could address that. Pulling money out of the family unit doesn't address it. And in fact, you know, it's going to make it worse in every way. Uh, when people get poor, they don't get less neglectful. They don't get less abusive. They get, you know, more of both of those things. So, Yeah. It's just kind of openly sadistic and irrational. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there was a story today where they were uh, they were quoting someone who had come from West Virginia, you know, to lobby him on this, you know, a constituent. And he'd seen that she said that he told him, 
that he, she said that he told her that they'd had a constituent in earlier and, and that um, she had told Joe that uh, her daughter, uh, her crackhead daughter was using the money to, you know, buy crack, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. So. Yeah, that sounds like someone, you know, that sounds like a well-sourced, you know, story. So at the yeah. very least, that's extremely well-sourced. There's no bias, you know, inherent there with somebody coming in complaining about their daughter. Um, I do like to imagine that part. I mean, like, imagine it's like, I'm going to go, I, I, most people can never even imagine being like, I'm going to go talk to a senator. Like, yeah. why? Why would you do that? You've already kind of weird and strange to want to do that. So you yeah. go in there and your whole thing is like, you want to tell them, hey, my crackhead daughter's using these. Ch- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I very, that, very doubt that that, that is That is really having a beef with your daughter. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's really, being a, that's uh, a terrible parent the right way. there. Now, that's yeah, a terrible really. parent. Yeah. <laughs> and you have another piece about Mitt Romney's. Romney child allowance is good. Yeah, well, because Romney, after, you know, with BBB failing, Romney, you know, threw it out again yesterday saying, hey, I have a child allowance bill that I would like you guys to pass. Join with me. Um, And so I had written a lot about that in February when he had first introduced it. And, um, you know, it's his, his, you know, I've talked to some of his staffers about this and the bill is in part based on a paper that I wrote about this subject. So I'm a little bit like, oh, cool. All right. Someone's picking up, you know, what I'm laying down on this. Um, and I actually thought his proposal was better than the thing that Biden, uh, they ended up passing just for this year, which is now expired. Um, you know, they're close, but I think his was, his was better, obviously, you know, similar to what I think about it. Um, and so I just kind of put out another piece saying, hey, like, this is a good thing. And if you could get it passed, you should. Now, practically, you know, it's probably not, you know, it's just no one passes bills with like 49 Dems and Mitt Romney. And, right. <laughs> and there's other things in it that are actually good. Like he, one of the ways he pays for it is he gets rid of the salt deduction entirely. Because right now we still have like a small salt deduction. I'm sure you guys covered some of that. That was yeah. a big hang up uh, with the bill. They wanted to make it bigger and whatever. And one of the ways he pays for it is he just gets rid of it entirely. And, you know, that I'm totally ready and happy to do that. But there are a lot of Dems who aren't. So yeah. there are those Gottheimer. kinds of things that... Gottheimer yeah, would exactly. be really yeah. pissed. Yeah. So it, it's probably got no legs, but it, it is funny and interesting to kind of you know, this is supposed to be the thing Biden is most concerned about. And you do have a proposal that's probably better than his. It's a permanent proposal, not a one-year extension, which yeah. is what was in the BBB. Is yeah. this a one-year extension? This is a permanent benefit. And all you got to do is bite the bullet on salt, which is a shitty deduction anyways. But yeah. they're not going to do it, so... Salt is just such bad politics. I can't even fucking believe it. It seems like such an obvious trap laid by the Republicans and Trump to like make make them fight for a tax cut just for their high earners. And I can't believe how hook, line, and sinker, like this, salt has become like one of the most important things that Democrats are fighting for uh, in this year where they hold all the lever, levers of power. Yeah, no, it's genius, you know, because the Republicans, all they do when they get in power is cut taxes on the rich, cut taxes on the rich. And they found a way to somehow flip that on the Dems and be like, yeah, you want to talk about the party taxes on your rich, the party of cutting taxes on the rich. It's actually the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And and, and yeah, they they, like when they were (laughs) when they finally got the salt thing in BBB this time around, Mitt Romney had tweeted out. He was like, I see the Democrats are trying to cut my taxes. No, no, no. You you will not buy my support in this bill. And it was like, it's a funny tweet. Um, 
And it's true. You don't want Mitt Romney to be allowed to say that, honestly. Yeah, there's a goal. Thank you on the left. (laughs) Yeah, Mitt the populist. Yeah. Yeah, that's really ridiculous. You know, we had David Dan on the other day, and one of the things we talked about was how there's so much stuff that Biden could pass at the stroke of the pen, with the stroke of the pen. How much is Manchin just kind of a scapegoat, or Manchin and, and cinema rotating villains? Uh, you know, I know that's David's big thing, uh, and he's been on top of that even before Biden became president. So he knows perhaps more about all the different items than I do. And I've read his work on it and, you know, the stuff they published. And, you know, there's a decent healthy list of things they could do. But it's also true that, you know, you can't do like the child tax credit, you know, the child tax credit thing. You can't create a child care system or pre-K system or paid family, you know, all that kind of stuff that was in the bill. You can't do that, um, you know, through executive order. But, you know, there's other stuff you could do. So Right. I think, Katie, honestly, that, you know, Mansion and Cinema are rotating villains for that they actually have even less support in, in the Senate. I think if if Manchin suddenly came around, you might start hearing more objections from like a Chris Coons or like Warner. There are some, there are people, I think, that don't want to get to not take the heat because of them. But, right, uh, yes, they're shields. Yeah. 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 People who are like Biden's close friends and allies. <laughs> By the way, where's Warren? Where's Elizabeth Warren? Has anyone seen her or heard from her? Wow. She she had some things she put out recently. I don't They weren't remarkable. Um, I think she's pushing some of the student debt stuff. Let's see oh, what, yeah. she's, what she's That's something about. he could do, obviously, right? Um, the debt, yeah. I mean, well, but he is instead restarting the debt. So there is... There's there is, that, yeah. There was, a, there was a story today saying that, that you know, they're going to think about postponing that. Yeah, You know, because great. of the COVID and whatnot. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe definitely good to have Donald Trump on you on that. Oh, boy. Like, not you know, not make that permanent. I mean, as far as, you know, they have the vaccines now, and obviously that's a very good thing and people should get vaccinated. But as far as, you know, COVID under Biden and Trump, I'm like, I think they more efficiently opened everything up (laughs) under Biden. It seems like when Trump was tweeting open her up, like maybe it was a good thing that all the Dem governors were like, fuck Trump, we'll never open up. And then when Biden said open up, everyone was like, okay, sir, like we listen to science and it's time to open up. You know, I feel like we got more money and we were more shut down <laughs> under Trump somehow oh, yeah. uh, in COVID. Yeah, we definitely were. The CARES Act was was massive. It was an you know, incredible bit of legislation. Biden and they also got, did stimulus yeah. you know, under Trump. And we've had just the one and more people have died from COVID this year. I'm like, let's get another American rescue plan. If you can't do BBB, then just at least do another like COVID stimulus. Yeah, no, well, they're worried about inflation now. So I think they've really that. sold that idea that all of this inflation is being caused by the fact that people got $1,400 like back in February, right. you know, when, you know, there's also this whole supply chain issue that's driving up prices of like everything. Um, but yes, they have, you know, a, a, a cable news has fully convinced everyone that if you send people in excess of a thousand dollars, then gas suddenly costs $7. <laughs> People love gas. When they, they get that gas. money, they just, they just and they love no. They love twelve they gallons. Fill up of their milk. swimming pools with it. So I didn't know this. I guess Warren has COVID. Oh, is that true? Yeah. <laughs> well, that is the most grim thing. I mean, You're like, what has Warren been up to? Oh, she, she hasn't. Has COVID. Is that true? Can we get a? Let me let me confirm that. But she has not had COVID for long enough to justify her inactivity on this. 
Her timeline is just uh, expand the court, student debt, pass Build Back Better. That's pretty much it. Protect democracy. Wow. So Corey Booker and Elizabeth Warren both test positive for COVID, which, by the way, I don't want to get into this, but that's not proof that the vaccine doesn't work, people. <laughs> okay. All like, right. You do have the, a YouTube chat room going right. here, I remember. Yeah. So, yeah, so sort of, that's not sort of caveat some people these saying, <laughs> like, There's some people saying that that's some kind of proof that the jab is bad or something. Wow. The issue is that's good that she was triple vaxxed and her response to this will most likely, statistically speaking, be more mild to it than the response of someone not vaccinated. And there you have it. That's what they keep saying about Omicron is that it's just, uh, you know, they keep saying it's more contagious, but less uh, symptoms. So, you know, I'm still going to go see The Matrix is basically my takeaway from all that. (laughs) (laughs) I got my booster. I kicked my ass. Really? The booster was that for me did not I didn't nothing and nothing yeah, happened. Do anything the booster. Really? Yeah. I guess yeah. not everyone has my immune system. <laughs> wow. My raging it's immune impressive. system. Well, uh, <laughs> I just kicked my ass for like 24 hours. But keep getting vaccinated, guys. I know I'm gonna that's gonna cost me some Patreons and some subscribers, but that's my my story. I'm sticking to it. Wow. You're like you're like Trump right now. You have to really <laughs> navigate People on a nice wing. <laughs> oh yeah, seriously, yeah. Well, Matt, I know you have to. You're very busy. You've been very generous. Any final thoughts you want to share? Any hot takes, numbers, nerdy things? No, not really. You know, uh, you know, I'm just looking to see. Like you know, Biden said he's going to get something done. So I'm going to see what what comes out of that. What do you predict? What's he going to get done? I don't think so. I don't know. Joe just seems he does not seem to want to get anything done. So yeah. he does not. He's uh, in the labor context. You know, we'd say he's he's not bargaining in good faith. He's he he'll propose something and then he'll back off of it and then someone else will say, okay, we'll do what you want to do and then he doesn't want to do it and then you know and it's just you know, filibustering in the in the more colloquial sense. So He's a bad faith bargainer. That's what it seems like to me. Maybe I'll be wrong. Well, we'll see. We'll have you back on to do a post-mortem. All right. All right. Thanks, Matt. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Katie Halper Show. Please remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show to support the show and to get extra shows and extended interviews. And of course, remember for this week, you get to hear the rest of that really excellent interview with Richard Wolf. The Katie Halper Show was edited by Brad Bloom and our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next week. <laughs>